0: We've had a year of Trump Russia collusion and no evidence, and the media in this country has ignored. I would argue the biggest story in their lifetime. This is bigger than Watergate. What well, this is earth shaking, and it does go deeper than Watergate. And the memo doesn't deeper answer than at all. Watergate. By any means. How it, is it deeper than deeper Watergate? Deeper than Watergate. The elite media is part of the deep state. Watergate's like stealing a Snickers bar uh, from a candy store, or a drug store in comparison.
1: Hello and welcome to TrumpCast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So another victim of Trump's workplace misconduct has surfaced. To recap, 20 women have come forward with charges of sexual harassment and assault against the president. Preet Barrara was inappropriately stalked by Trump, but when Barrara refused Trump's calls, he was fired. And of course, former FBI Director James Comey suffered a hideous forced embrace, was tricked into alone time with his lechy boss, and told to drop an investigation and strong-armed into a loyalty pledge. But now we have Rod Rosenstein's Me Too moment. Deputy AG went to see Trump to talk about Devin Lunes, I mean Nunes, but Trump kept asking about, oh, Mueller's investigation of his manifest Russia ties. This is just as Trump was running out the clock on issuing sanctions against Russia for fucking up our democracy. Ultimately, Trump and the State Department decided to drop those sanctions because our president, of course, owes everything to his menacing bookie Vladimir Putin, also urine and mattresses. Anyway, in his usual creepy way, Trump wanted to know whether Rosenstein, who's pledged to pursue justice and not a -a Mar-a-Lago membership, was, as Trump put it, on my team. Workplace misconduct indeed. And while Trump worked his old New York real estate extortion jive on public officials, the other arm of his hurdy-gurdy spaz defense is trying his darndest to play the legislature. This is Devin Nunes and his Russian-aided effort to release the memo. I say Russia-aided not because I'm a Russophobe. Trumpcast listeners know I love nesting dolls, Tolstoy, the Neva, even Kasha. And forget about the dissidents of my childhood, including Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who lived not far from me growing up, and Garry Kasparov. But because this is not real. Russia we're talking about but the goddamn gulag of Russian meddling. Release the memo is a meme pumped out by Russian bots. And if you don't believe me, check out the Hamilton 68 dashboard on securingdemocracy.org. Even 73-year-old Senator Angus King of Maine looks at this thing to see if a weird obsessive explosion among Republicans is organic American madness A Russian infiltration. So the Hamilton 68 dashboard is not just for millennials or the Snapchat crowd. If Angus at 73 can look this stuff up, so can you. I used to think where there's smoke, there's fire. But now I think where there's fire, there's fire. And this administration is in flames. And we haven't even touched on femme fatale Hope Hicks, who the New York Times report seems to be under investigation for obstruction of justice by Robert Mueller. Which brings me to today's show, Mueller. We're all counting on him to basically flesh out what's now plain as day. Trump's been obstructing justice both by vilifying the FBI and by outright demanding that the Justice Department do his bidding. He's doing this because he almost definitely has something to hide, which is an ongoing conspiracy with the Kremlin to help give him the presidency and other goodies in exchange for sanctions relief and a restored place for Russia on the world stage. But should we count on the Mueller report? My guest today is an impeachment defense lawyer. Yes, there's such a thing. Ross Garber is going to explain the horrible possibility that the Mueller report may never see the light of day. Because Trump's defense team is going to move heaven and earth to try to keep it out of Congress's and the public's view. And they may have a shot at doing so. His op-ed in the L.A. Times today is called, We May Never Find Out What Robert Mueller Discovers. Shudder. I'll be back with Ross Garber in just a minute. Joining me on the line is Ross Garber. He co-chairs the Government Investigations Department at the law firm of Shipman and Goodwin in Connecticut. He served as lead defense counsel in impeachment proceedings of three Republican governors. Welcome, Ross. Happy to be here. As you know, I think there's something diabolically fascinating about what you do, impeachment defenses. I think we found each other on Twitter and I instantly started asking you questions about how you you do an impeachment defense, how you think of an impeachment defense. What is an impeachment defense? I'm going to ask you a sort of long opening question, which is. I know you are also an admirer of Ben Wittes and the whiz kids at Lawfare. I was listening to their podcast the other night. They were speculating, as one does, about Trump's defense attorney, Ty Cobb. I think the occasion for the podcast was Trump's um, then recently revealed effort to fire Bob Mueller last summer, and they were speculating that Ty Cobb must have Trump in hand now because he hasn't, Trump hasn't moved on Mueller like a bitch recently. Um, And and maybe Ty Cobb has become the adult babysitter of our fantasies. He's getting Trump to cooperate with Mueller, to cool off, to submit to a closed hearing under oath. So I've speculated in the past that this is something like a hospice defense. It's kind of like, The lawyer's saying, it's all right now. You can let go, Mr. President. You'll be with the angels soon. A kind of palliative morphine drip care so he doesn't thrash around too much before he meets his maker. Because I've been assuming that it's curtains for him when the Mueller report drops. But I'm coming to understand that you don't think this is a hospice defense. You imagine that maybe whatever the Mueller report says or whatever Mueller's findings are, whether they're devastating or fairly innocuous, that the Mueller report might be killed in its crib. We might just never see it. Congress might not see it. The public might not see it. None of us outside, you know, maybe Rod Rosenstein will see it. And that, holding up that report so no one sees it, could be a defense if impeachment seems like it's in the
0: offing. Is that right? So I think we, where I start off is... I don't think the president's going to be indicted either because Mueller doesn't find anything indictable or he finds things for which most people could and would be indicted, but decides like Ken Starr did that it's just not wise. It's not appropriate to indict a president. And some scholars have have said you can't ever indict a sitting president Others say, well, maybe you can, but you shouldn't. And I think, based on what we all know about Bob Mueller, it's unlikely that he's going to push the envelope, especially if the issue is, is obstruction, because an indictment will be litigated in court. It's going to be disruptive. It's going to be... Uh, and, and maybe in the end, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything. So I think the president's not going to be indicted. So then the next question is where you are is all right, so then what happens? And under the regulations that apply to Bob Mueller, it's not like it was with Ken Starr, where the stat there was a statute that said that a report should be written and transmitted to Congress if if the independent counsel found evidence of impeachable offenses. That statute lapsed. Now the regulations that apply say the way it works Is Mueller at the end of his investigation drafts a report, sends it to the Attorney General, and that report is to be kept confidential. Now, in this situation, the Attorney General has recused himself. Rod Rosenstein, the Deputy Attorney General, was acting Attorney General, so the report's going to go to uh, Rosenstein. It's to be kept confidential unless the regulations say the Attorney General in this case Rosenstein, decides it's in the public interest to release it. And so I think that's going to be the big issue. It's either Rosenstein deciding whether it's in the public interest or you know perhaps the, uh, Congress would subpoena the report and then the Department of Justice would have to decide whether we'll oppose the subpoena or not. So it is a question right now. And now uh, there 's a lot of focus on uh, on Rod Rosenstein, and I think that 's going to become uh, increasingly focused because of this issue of an impending report by Mueller
1: so This is immensely interesting and I think gets overlooked that we don 't have to read Congress to decide will they or won 't they. Even if Congress flips, we don't have to guess will they or won't they on the basis of the Mueller report. You know, uh, you hear a lot of people saying, that, you know, the Republicans are so in the tank for Trump that even if Mueller shows high crimes and capital crimes in the report, they still won't move to impeach. Well, it's possible, as you say, or probable that because of the new inhibitions on the special prosecutor, that they won't see the report at all. Which I, I don't think is I don't think is factored into. Analysis maybe as often as it should be.
0: Yeah, well, and and two things. Number one is, I'm actually not of the school that thinks that Congress, you know, under no circumstances would ever do anything. Um, Even a Republican Congress. I think we've all in politics seen, you know, bottoms drop out of approvals, and even back in the Nixon days, you know, Nixon held on to his approval rating until he didn't.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And and here, if there is a negative report. You know, imagine it's it's very negative, and you know any prosecutor, and and certainly somebody as smart as Bob Mueller, can take even the facts that we know and make them look very, very, very ugly. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I think there's going to be a you know a big question about whether that report comes out. The Attorney General, you know, presumably Rod Rosenstein in, in this case, is going to have to weigh. You know, on the one hand, well, you know, this stuff does affect the public, and so it. It affects the public potentially dramatically, and so it is in the interest of the public for it to come out. On the other hand, investigations like this are traditionally kept confidential. Uh, They're done in front of uh, secret grand juries for a reason, to keep it confidential. Department of Justice longstanding policy is that you don't release stuff like this to the public if you're not charging somebody. And Rosenstein in particular was very critical of Jim Comey for releasing information to the public and, and and said, you don't, this is what prosecutors and investigators do not do. You do not try cases in the court of public opinion. You try cases in court.
1: Well, that was, okay, but the, and the case there was that um, there's a, a little bit of a catch-22 here because the information that Jim Comey released didn't rise to the level of a crime. It was a, it was misconduct. And that was part of the reason that Rosenstein cited when he said it was a textbook example of what not to do, that this was um, an investigation of some kind of potential misconduct. But it was, um, it ended up being, you know, raising like all kinds of smoke and fog around something without having uh, an indictment. So one reason to keep the report to yourself is that it only alleges misconduct Another reason to keep it to yourself is it has it contains the marching orders for an indictment. And since in that indictment is disallowed or prohibited of a sitting president, you know, do you know what I mean? You're, you're, yeah, you're so, stopped both so, ways.
0: I think that's one of the things that Rod Rosenstein might wrestle with. Mm. But fundamentally, it's sort of an on-off switch. It, when you're a prosecutor, do you seek an indictment or do you not? If you mm-hmm. do seek an, enti- an indictment, then the information becomes public. If you do not seek an indictment, then the information does not become public. And for most prosecutors, and certainly good prosecutors, you seek an indictment, not just when you think there's evidence of misconduct, not even when you think there's evidence of a crime, but you think that you can actually get a conviction. You can get a jury to believe beyond a reasonable doubt that there was a crime. Mm -hmm. And so there there are cases that prosecutors and investigators investigate where they say, wow, this is this is misconduct. In fact, we think there was a crime here, mm-hmm. but we don't think we can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. So we're not going to indict. And that information never sees the light of day. And it doesn't because, again, the grand jury process is secret. And unless there's an indictment, it's kept confidential.
1: So what if, I want you to walk us through one of the impeachment defenses you've done, but I have one more question on this that just might show my confusion. Why can't the Mueller report just say, we've found evidence of a whole slate of crimes from small to high crimes and misdemeanors, and then leave it to, why can't that be made public to Congress and then leave it to Rosenstein to decide whether to indict? Do you know what I mean? Why do the indictments and the report of the crimes mm-hmm. have to come at the same time?
0: Yeah. So there's, there's no provision at all for Rod Rosenstein to say in the regulations for Rod Rosenstein to say anything publicly at all about the investigation or what he found out anything at all and and that's normally how prosecutors operate sometimes what prosecutors will do would be to send a a letter to a target of an investigation saying we haven't found evidence to sufficient to charge you at this time mm-hmm. and that's one way they they disclose things but generally, information from an investigation, any information just isn't disclosed if it doesn't result in an indictment. Mm-hmm. Now, now, this regulation doesn't say what should be or shouldn't be in this report or what it should look like or anything like that. And we're talking about now the report, the only report that's authorized, which is the report to the, to the attorney general. Mm-hmm. And, and so that can look like whatever, whatever Bob Mueller wants it to
1: look like, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. And what about the committees? What if, they, what if the committees turn up, which are not looking for prosecutions, obviously, but what if they turn up evidence of crimes in their reports?
0: Yeah, and, and that's really the way the process is structured to go. You know, Mueller and the Department of Justice are focused appropriately and solely on, on seeing if there is evidence to support a prosecution and then prosecuting the crime. Congress mm-hmm. has a different uh, mission. Congress uh, is doing oversight. They certainly have impeachment authority, and, and and whatever they turn up, they can make public, do it in public. And in fact, that's been the the tradition. And so, you know, if they find evidence of of impeachable offenses or other offenses, then that, yes, yeah, certainly that can all be public.
1: Um, so, how would you do this defense?
0: Well, so I I think that uh, Ty Cobb is probably approaching it in a way that makes sense in terms of the document demands or requests from the the special counsel my understanding is he's producing them from the white house because he represents the white house mm-hmm. and now the question though is does the president testify or not and that is that, that that's a very very difficult thing on the one hand it's it's a challenge for a politician to refuse to testify because it appears they've got something to hide and and they you know, do have obligations to the public. On the other hand, most politicians that I've represented make terrible witnesses mm. because they've made their careers on two things that are, are very problematic if you're a defense lawyer. One is they are used to disregarding risk. You don't become mm. a successful governor, senator, congressman, certainly not president. Mm-hmm. If you are always following the advice of your lawyers – and you're always listening to the people who say no. Mm-hmm. And so that that makes for a very difficult client. And the second thing that makes for a very difficult client to testify is somebody who is used to, accustomed to selling themselves. Mm-hmm. Salesmen make terrible clients, and politicians are sort of salesmen squared or, or cubed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, they're people who are used to trying to make people believe them, make people like them, make people do what they want them to do. And when you're testifying, that's a terrible trait to have, because that, especially combined with the first element, leads people often to say things that aren't entirely true. Anybody, anybody. We're not just talking about you know Trump here. Anybody, anybody, anybody. And that makes it very, very difficult. So I think at this stage, the question is, does the president offer testimony? And for me, it's hard to see that actually happening, especially given the mistrust at this point of the uh, of the FBI and the special counsel and the Department of Justice and the seeming support by the majority in Congress for that suspicion it'd be hard for me to to envision the president sitting down and giving live testimony
1: so you would discourage the
0: President from testifying well so i I obviously don't know everything yes. That his lawyers know, and right. so it's hard to say exactly what I what I would tell him to do or not do. But based on what what I know, it's hard to envision do- him him sitting down and testifying. Now, the the threat that Mueller has is well, fine. You, you don't have to you know come and and I've been saying testify. You don't have to come and give an interview voluntarily. Mm-hmm. I can issue a grand jury subpoena. Right. I can command you to appear. Now, no president has ever been forced. To testify before a grand jury. And so it's unclear what the court system would do with that kind of command. And I think there are arguments, valid arguments, that a grand jury subpoena for a president, sitting president, to testify wouldn't be valid. Now that's notwithstanding the fact that the courts have said that if you if a sitting president gets a grand jury for, uh, subpoena for documents and those documents aren't privileged he's got to produce them mm-hmm. and that's notwithstanding the fact that the the courts have said that under certain circumstances and under certain conditions a subpoena to, to testify at a deposition that's valid mm-hmm. and also notwithstanding the fact that some presidents actually have testified before grand juries i think there's still a good argument that a sitting president can't be commanded to appear before a grand jury to offer testimony. And so I think maybe that may be a a legitimate and viable thing for the president's team to say. Mm -hmm. And that argument's been made before, and it's uh, resulted in, on the one hand, a situation where President Reagan gave testimony in written answers Mm -hmm. to to a prosecutor. And in the case of Bill Clinton... Uh, he actually gave testimony, but he did it from the White House, and he did it with his lawyers with him, which normally isn't how grand juries work. Mm-hmm. And so, I think prosecutors have sort of recognized that that there is some danger uh, that a, a grand jury subpoena for the testimony of a sitting president wouldn't won't be enforced. So, there's probably room to negotiate here, and the only question is how far will 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 Mueller be willing to go? Will he be willing to to let the president answer? Written questions. I I, I don't know. Uh, maybe he will. Maybe he'll he'll let the president answer written questions as sort of a first pass, and then see after that. But I think that's that's what we're looking for now.
1: So those that might be uh, Cobb and his team might be focusing on looking ahead toward maybe quashing the or challenging those subpoenas if there are if such a thing are ever issued, and then also before that basically just trying to keep Trump out of the witness seat. I mean, there's, if, yeah. you know, you you say it, it, for most politicians, it's it's not a good idea or it's sort of dangerous from the, from the lawyer's point of view. Um, and Trump would seem to be a cartoon of every description you just gave of politicians, I mean, inclined to lying and self-salesmanship and so forth.
0: Well, I think there there are Without adopting that description, but yes. I, I think I think there are <laughs> there are two things that are pointing to to perhaps a more aggressive posture going forward by the defense team, mm-hmm. uh, and, and one is the fact that that Ty Cobb, who's the White House lawyer responsible for the investigations, isn't. He says he's not involved at all in the negotiations with Bob Mueller. Not involved at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and two, uh, John Dowd, the the president's personal lawyer has said he, not the president, will be making the decision about whether the president testifies. Hmm. To me, both of those things add up to potentially a much more aggressive posture uh, with respect to Mueller going forward. Hmm. Uh, And the reason for that is uh, the aggressive posture is not going to come from the White House. Ty Cobb saying, I'm not involved in the discussions a uh, cop can say, I've produced all the documents that Mueller has looked for. I've facilitated the interviews with uh, White House personnel. You know, this is not a White House thing. It's not an official thing. Hmm. You know, we've done everything we were supposed to do. And then Dowd, it sounds like, is teeing it up to say, look, this isn't, uh, as we know, the president really wants to sit down. He said repeatedly, yes. I want to sit
1: no, down. I look forward to it.
0: I look forward to it. This was not the president's choice. He wants to sit down. This is my choice. Uh, This is John Dowd's choice. And so don't blame the president for this. This is his his lawyer making the decision.
1: um, Very interesting. Yeah.
0: Those those are two signs to me that there may be a more aggressive posture going forward, Um, which I think is is sound.
1: Is sound. Okay. so that would be um, up till the, you know, Mueller declares that he has what he has, and he's going to give it over to the AGA Rosenstein. And from there, where would the defense go?
0: Well, so then the question becomes, uh, does Rod Rosenstein release the report uh, either directly to the public or in response to a demand or a subpoena by Congress? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, and then the question is, how does, you know, assuming the, the president doesn't think that would be a good idea, how is that advocacy done? Is it is there advocacy? Is it public advocacy? Hmm. Uh, is it advocacy by the president's personal lawyer? Does he go meet with Rosenstein and make a pitch? Does mm-hmm. Rosenstein? Is he willing to meet with him? Are there letters? Uh, is Ty Cobb from the White House involved in that? And hmm. uh, and and that becomes important because I think you know one of the underlying currents might be the rights and prerogatives of of a president, some form of executive privilege. But hmm. again. One could see why the White House wouldn't want to be involved in that discussion, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, right. Uh, and so I think that's something to watch and also to see what Congress says about it. Does Congress, does the majority in Congress say, well, yeah, I mean, we're investigating this too. Of course, if there's a report, we want to see it. Or do the Republicans in Congress say, well, actually, no, we don't want to see it because it would be improper to, to have it disclosed. So I think that's something to watch for now. There's also, I suppose, the chance that Mueller sort of does a, a full Comey, which is he put aside a report to the uh, to the Attorney General. Maybe he just does a report to to Congress and even the public. He says, "Hey, look, you know what? this is something that's important to the public, and the regulations don't prohibit me from doing it, so I'm just going to do it." Mm-hmm. Uh, that would <laughs> surprise me, uh, especially. Given how things have played out for Comey, but I suppose that's a possibility too. You know, the, the, there's going to be an enormous. Imagine a scenario where after this long investigation and all of this time and effort and all of these interviews of White House personnel and all of these documents produced, imagine a scenario where the Department of Justice says, "Well, yeah, we're not going to charge the president, so I guess we're done." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I imagine you know you and your colleagues in the press would go crazy if that's the case. Mm -hmm. Um, And lots of folks in Congress would go crazy if that's the case. There's going to be an enormous amount of pressure on the Justice Department to make some sort of disclosure. And so it's going to be interesting to see whether they fold to that pressure, whether they decide it's in the public interest, or whether they decide to that it's not the public interest to make this disclosure and, and to not fold to the public pressure.
1: One last question. You are an observe, close observer of impeachments at the, at the state level, Senate level. What is going to happen
0: <laughs> Russ? What's going to happen? Uh, so one of the things I've learned, and you know, I, I, it takes, I suppose, something to pick a, a focus of practice where uh, it happens only every few years yeah. and you don't make, make any money. Cause usually when I, when I handle impeachments uh, i 'm representing the office of the public official, and so i become I get paid by the by the government you're not uh,
1: you 're not the Michael Cohen guy getting like lots of grift on the side don 't you, <laughs> you don 't have to comment
0: yeah I, okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're
1: right you work for the you work for the office So yeah, you 're yeah. a public I, servant
0: I, right exactly I just you know finished up a a stint as a special i think I was the special Deputy Attorney General of Alabama to handle. The impeachment down there and and one of the things that i 've learned in doing these impeachments and and we should all know there there have not been very many impeachments yeah uh, on the federal level uh, there have been two presidents impeached and then the Nixon proceedings. And no president's been removed, so that's it. On the state level, there have been very, 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 very few impeachments and removals. And so these things don't happen very long, very often. I've done a few post-Clinton, which is the last federal in, uh, impeachment. And and a couple of things I think uh, you know, I've learned uh, in doing them repeatedly that we can uh, we can think about. One is no one knows what's
1: going to happen. Hmm.
0: No one knows what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've I've seen, uh, you know, too many times when everybody thinks they know, and and then it plays out differently, because ultimately, we're talking about, you know, politicians, and we're talking about power. And, and and things shift, you know, as we've seen rapidly. And that's Mm -hmm. what you know, impeachments and legislative investigations are about. So no one really knows. That's one. Number two is more often than not, the deciding factors aren't playing out in public. Hmm. Uh, the high-minded and approach says in the Constitution is that you can be impeached for, for treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. Gerald Ford, when he was in Congress, said, essentially, you can be impeached for whatever Congress wants to impeach you for mm-hmm. at that moment in time. And and one of my jobs is often to remind people that that's actually not a, a an okay way to look at things. But in, again, in the real world, where it's about power and politics, that's often, you know, sort of what it's reduced to. Um, and, and I think the third thing, and there are lots of things to look at, but the third thing I'll I'll point out to look at is, normally, in politics and in impeachment, things are worked out between the executive and legislative branches of government, between the president and the Congress.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's where things are worked out, because it's politics. That's where things are always worked out. In impeachments, when it gets to a certain point, the gears of politics are essentially grinding, and so things, it makes it much harder for things to work out. And that's when for lawyers, things get particularly interesting because sometimes then courts get involved and they are a wild card. Hmm. Uh, And often people don't think about what a wild card they are until things wind up in court. In the Clinton administration, there were decisions about the attorney client privilege for the president and his White House counsel Hmm. that had dramatic results where the court's Said, yeah, they're actually, in a grand jury investigation, there isn't a privilege.
1: Amazing. Uh,
0: we know about the Nixon decision on executive privilege. So when courts get involved, that introduces a whole different layer of wackiness and uncertainty. And so I think that's, uh, that's another thing to watch out for. You know, will there be an actual claim of executive privilege? Will Mueller push hard and issue a grand jury subpoena? Will this, any of this, wind up in court?
1: Yikes! All right, it's going to be a turbulent. The turbulence will continue. How about that? That um, may be true. In our but troubled get nation, it, right? we we <laughs> we always get through it. <laughs> Maybe that I'll hold on to that today. Um, there you go. <laughs> thank you so much for being here, Russ.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. You following us on Twitter? We're at RealTrumpCast. At RealTrumpCast. I'm Virginia Heffernan, and thanks for listening.